confession together as a church. Father God, we come confessing and singing and celebrating how great you are. God, you are so big. You are so mighty. You are so holy. You are so awesome. And Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for the call to worship you, for the joy we, we feel as we celebrate you. Lord, we also come as a confessing people, confessing that we do not measure up to your greatness. We do not measure up to your glory. We do not measure up to your goodness, and we don't come here with a righteousness that we have built in our own lives. But the only righteousness that we can have is the one that you give us by faith, the alien righteousness, the external righteousness of your own son that you give to us as a gift. And so we come this morning confessing that we don't have it all together, but because of you, we can enjoy a, a reconciled relationship with you and with each other. Because of you, we, we have a righteousness that's not our own, but it's your free gift to us if we would trust and accept it. Lord, help us to continue to worship in light of that. Help us to continue to worship this morning in light of the goodness you've given to us, the forgiveness, the casting off of our sins onto your son Jesus, and the giving freely of his righteousness to us. Lord, help us to worship not just this morning as we sing and Listen to your word, but help us to worship all week long as we work, as we change diapers, as we meet neighbors, as we do work around our houses, as we create art, as we listen to music. Everything that we do in this culture, Lord, let it be for your praise, for your glory, in service to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. My 
Fix our eyes. 
God, all glory to you for your strength, God, and for your mercy to us. Father, we thank you for adopting us as your children. God, giving us a chance to see and know you. God, to know your heart. Lord, I pray that you will God, open your word to us now, Lord. Help us to, um, to trust you that you know what is best for us. God, help us to love you through our obedience. In your name I pray, amen. A couple of quick announcements. Um, there's a couple of brightly colored inserts you'll see in the bulletin, green and orange. Uh, the green one lets you know if you are a youth, like a 7th through 12th grader, and you're interested in getting to know some other youth, having some fun together, and uh, engaging in some ministry service together as well. They're going to have a food drive and lock-in all at the same time. Uh, so if you're interested in engaging in that with them, you can fill this out and let us know. Also, if you are a grown-up that owns your own pantry, uh, we would love to come raid your pantry that night and uh, come by, get some uh, canned goods from you to take to the food care center as a part of that lock-in. They're going to be driving around and picking stuff up from different houses. So if you're interested, uh, like I said, if you've got the rights to fill this out, if you have your own pantry, and if you are willing as well, fill this out. Let us know uh, by dropping that in the box. Also, the orange one uh, lets you know about our upcoming parking lot party. We've been getting a lot of forms, but just wanted to remind you that that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's just a picnic. We go outside and enjoy the uh, cool fall weather that we've all been praying for all summer. It's finally here. We thank God for it, and uh, just enjoy hanging out together as a church out there. Um, also want to remind you, too, we've, we've got the 5 o'clock service going on. We've done it now three weeks, and that's been going well, and we appreciate all your prayers for that. We've opened up some more space in this service because of that one, and I just want to encourage you to continue to uh, feel free to invite friends and, and bring others. Now we've actually got seats, so now if you invite someone, they can sit down in here, too. So uh, just thankful for that, and continue to pray for us as we, we move forward with that service. Um, want to introduce to you Chase Bowers, an old friend of mine. Chase is the global outreach pastor at Temple Bible Church, a great guy who has encouraged me in my faith over the years. And I joked earlier that there's a couple of guys that are on staff over at Temple Bible Church that have strange accents. One is from England, and uh, then this is Chase. He's the other one. He's from East Texas. So hopefully you'll be able to uh, hopefully you'll be able to understand everything he says today. I think I think he'll do just fine. But thanks, Chase. Yeah, I, I usually tell people I grew up in New York, but they do not believe that. Um, I want to say it's good to be with you. Um, it's good to be here with Pastor Dave. Um, since I met him early on, just recognize here's a man with a big vision of God. That will impact his life, that will impact his family, that will impact his church, and that will impact the world. And um, and have great respect for him, and I hope you do too. If you don't, get some. He's a good man. We're going to look in Isaiah chapter 6 today. We're going to look in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, at a vision of the king that Isaiah recalls, this great prophet that propels him to obedience in, in a hard place. And we're going to talk about what, what would happen if we would see the king, if we would recognize Christ as king, because our theology, what we believe about God, informs the way that we live, what we practice. That's true for everyone. 
what we believe about God informs the way that we practice. I, just a little confession about myself. I wake up in the middle of the night almost every night for about 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and I used to think that was always to eat. I'm just hungry, so I'll eat. But I started gaining weight and it kept happening, so I thought, well, maybe not. Um, last night I woke up in the middle of the night and there was an email from a young lady, and uh, we'll just call her R. You can pray for her. Never met her, but she's a Hindu who grew up in Temple um, and is at a university a ways off and was very offended by Temple Bible Church's global outreach page because we had the audacity to ask people to pray for Muslims to come to faith in Jesus. And so she explained why we were closed-minded um, and bigots to me. And, and so I responded, I appreciate you being honest, and I appreciate that you are bold enough to share your truth claim with me. And I, I hope that you will understand it's out of a great love for God and people that we share our truth claim as well. Say that. To say our theology, what we believe about God, impacts the way that we live. Isaiah got a vision of the king, impacted him, moved him to faithfulness. Let's look at the scripture's account of that vision. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe! Is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God, give us a vision of you that would... Propel us to be on mission with you where we live, declaring your glory in our neighborhoods, sharing your love with the people who work right next to us. Move in us today because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. See, when, when we come to Christ, we get a Savior, we get a friend, we get a Redeemer. You get a father, also get a king. And what happens, what happens when you see the king is a basic question. 
I'd like us to answer. And Scripture gives us one account here of what happened when a man saw the king. So we're going to look together, just go verse by verse and talk about it. First thing that happens when you see the king is there's highness. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. God's presence, his glory is filling the place. And when we come into the presence of Jesus, we are coming into the presence of the Almighty King, the Eternal Son, and the Triune Godhead. And it's such a big deal to be in the presence of God. And I shared with the first service, I get, I kind of laugh at myself because when I think of what, what would this look like, the train of his robe filling the temple, there's not a modern day example. In, in ancient days, a, a king's robe was a declaration of his grandeur, his greatness. The longer the robe, the greater, the more glorious the king. And when I think about modern times, the only thing I can think about is a wedding I watched on TV. Um, if you're, you're free to laugh at me because I kind of laugh at that. I don't think weddings should be on TV when there's so many sporting events, right? <laughs> but this wedding was on TV. I was watching it with my sister. She wanted to watch it. I was about seven or eight years old. And a, a guy named Charles was marrying a lady named Diana over in England. This incredible cathedral and as Diana walks down the aisle the train of her dress filled the aisle and I remember just as a little boy thinking wow that is beautiful let's go play football <laughs> but it was such an incredible picture that would pale in comparison to what Isaiah saw you come before the king he's high and lifted up he is due our worship, our recognition, our humbling ourselves in His presence. There's highness because there is holiness. Above Him stood the seraphim, these scaly, angelic beings. Each had six wings, and the angels covered their face with a set of their wings, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and one called out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Theologians speak of God's holiness. Sometimes they use the term otherness as an idea that He is altogether different and set apart from creation. No one made God. He doesn't come to us because He needs anything. He's altogether different. Different. What would it be like if we went to all of our relationships not because we need, but because we love? The greatest distinction I can think of about Him never does anything wrong. To be more specific, He always glorifies Himself. He always displays His own greatness. We were made to display the greatness of the Creator. And when we sin... We fail to give Him glory. He's altogether different, and we read that He is holy, holy, holy. It's the, the ancient superlative. They wouldn't have said He was holy, holier than some, or the holiest. If someone was somewhat strong, we might say that they're strong. Someone a little stronger 
We might say that they're strong, strong. But the guy who can bench press 700 pounds and squat 1,000, we would say he's the strongest. They would say he's strong, strong, strong. The statement here is that there is none like God. He says, to whom will you compare me? He's altogether different. He is unimpeachable in his purity. He does not like sin. Will not be in his presence. And Isaiah recognizes this holy God. And it starts to get overwhelming. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Not just holiness. There's heaviness. This was uncomfortably loud, this worship, such that it was shaking the temple. When I read that as a young believer, I thought, oh, wow, God's voice is so strong, it shakes the temple. It's not God's voice. It's the angelic being's voice. There's a gentleman, when we talk about worship at our church, if he and I have a conversation, the one thing he always says is, it's just so loud. And I, I just think I do not know if you are going to like heaven very much. Because it's going to be loud. It's, it's a heavy thing because the worshipers are shaking the temple because they're in the presence of one who never has to learn anything, never lacks the power for anything never lacks the wisdom to make the right decision. Never had to change his mind because he always makes the right one. He's got enough love in his heart for the world. It's a heavy thing to think that we can come into God's presence. Do we come boldly before the throne of grace? Yes, we're commanded to. But we only do so, we only do so through the blood of the Son of God shed for us. There's a heaviness, and then for Isaiah, there's a helplessness. There's a helplessness. This prophet, very religious man, says, Woe is me, for I'm lost, I'm ruined, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we are confronted with the holiness of God and our own sinfulness, we recognize that we're helpless. We can't fix ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't change our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is our sin problem. We live in a culture within and without the church in America where we hear today about something that is called a therapeutic gospel. And basically the therapeutic gospel says this. It says that we all have a wound deep in our past. And if, if we go back to that wound that someone else inflicted on us and get it fixed, then we will be okay. And I want you to hear me, church. We do all have 
some very deep wounds from our past. Some of them hurt very much, but these are not our chief problem. Our chief problem is our sin problem, so we're going to remember together. The doctrine of sin, just look a little bit at it because our theology informs our practice. Just a few verses, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there's not a righteous person on earth who always does good and never sins. Ezekiel 18.1, The soul that sins shall surely die. Sin's a big deal to God. How do we sin? We sin with our passions. We'll just walk through a little bit of Romans 3. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Our passion is to seek our own desires, our own wants. We sin with our hands. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. Our actions, we sin with our mouths. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of, of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Then we sin with our feet. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And in this summary statement, there is no fear of God before their eyes. See, when we say our theology informs our practice, that's true of everyone. That summary statement, there is no fear of God before their eyes because there is no respect, worship, honor of God. And this descriptive, then the people are full of sin. They're full of rebellion. They're not on mission with God. There's no fear. And so we, as a result, are without excuse. Why? Because God's made Himself known. His invisible attributes, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they, all people, that would be we, are without excuse. And it's only when we recognize our own helplessness, only when we recognize our own depravity, only in light of of seeing the king and seeing our sin, do we find help? He says, my eyes have seen the king, I'm ruined. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Can you imagine... Sometimes when we start to come to God, it's a frightening thing. This large, scaly creature with six wings, whose voice is shaking the temple, grabs a burning coal with tongs and is coming straight for you. That does not sound like a fun experience. It's not warm. It's not fuzzy for Isaiah. But what the angel has done is he's taken a burning coal from an altar on which the sin offering would be burnt. It's a foreshadowing. Not that we need burning coals or the blood of bulls and goats by which it's impossible to take away sin. But, but the blood of Christ is our cleansing. So, 
Sometimes we think, I'll get clean, then I'll come to God. You, you can't do that. That's like saying, I think I'll take a shower so I can go take a shower. You don't, I mean, you don't do that. Maybe, maybe you do, but that's strange if you do. You don't, you don't get clean to get clean. We can't make ourselves clean, but there is a fountain filled with the blood that can and does make us clean. But it's only through going to the Father that we find help. After help, though, after help, there's a hard question. He asks Isaiah this, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? See, I... Isaiah's qualifications here are, are that he's recognized God as Lord and King and he's recognized that he is a sinner. And he needs help. And God's given help. And then God says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And if he's really the king, the only answer is, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah saw the king, so he said, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Matt Chandler, pastor of the Village Church, talks about that here am I. Send me and what that looks like. And he says, It's like this. We're tracking with the Lord. We're pursuing Him. We're excited about Him. And we say, God, I'll run a thousand miles for you in this direction. And he, he says, no, I just, I just want you to take one step to the left. And you look over to the left. And, and so you don't think I'm speaking politically. Maybe it's a step to the right, okay? <laughs> but, but you look and you think, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'd rather, run a, I'd rather run a thousand miles this way. No, I'd just like you to take one step to the left. See, for, for us, about a year and a half ago, growing up in a fairly racist area of the world, when the Lord moved us to adopt from Rwanda, more than I, more than I feared what people in the mall would think, I thought, what's my family going to think? One step to the left. And, and what a foolish thought that was. I have a baby waiting for me halfway across the world. And, and God says, defend the cause of the fatherless. Here am I. Send me. Can you imagine the little Rwandan kid growing up with this accent? Won't that be great? <laughs> And people say to my wife about adoption, about other things God has led us to do, I could never do that. And you know what we say? Me neither. And I'm not telling you God's calling you to adopt a kid. I mean, he might. If you're hearing that, that's a Holy Spirit, not me, okay? But what's that thing that you're saying? I could, I could never do that. And you might not 
you might not should do that. But you might. Is there something that you're saying, I could never do that? Because can we say that to the king? Well, I'll give you everything but this. Whether it's love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whether it's go and make disciples of the nations. Or whether it's knocking on the door of your neighbor. And saying, you know, I don't know why I've lived here this long. And not just ask you. Do you know the love of Jesus Christ? Here am I. Send me. Isaiah said this, and then God sent him to a very hard place. He sent him home. He sent him home. I'm the global outreach pastor. I'm the guy who tells everybody, go. But everybody's not supposed to go. In fact, most people probably aren't supposed to go. Definitely, I think, more should than are going, but, but that's as far as I'll, I'll go with that this morning. But while we're here, he's called us to say, here am I, send me. And sometimes he'll send us to a hard place. He he told Isaiah further on in the chapter, basically at best, you're going to get a tenth of these people to obey the message. It's going to be hard. So when you hear, obedience to God always leads to success and comfort. Listen to Isaiah, listen to Peter, listen to Paul, listen to the Son of God who would say, no, it doesn't. But it's worth what it costs because of who the King is. Why could Isaiah do this and why would we be able to? Let's turn to John chapter 12 and we'll close. New believer, I would read this in Isaiah And I think, so that's what the Father's like. He's this almighty king. Who rules and reigns. And the Father's glory fills up the temple. And the voice shakes at, or the temple shakes at the voice of those who worship the Father. But I I was wrong. Listen and I... In John 12, at the end of verse 36, there are people who, who are not believing, though some did. It says, When Jesus said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what He heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Therefore... They could not believe, for again Isaiah said, and then he quotes Isaiah 6.10, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things, why? Because he saw his glory and spoke of him. See, the one we've been reading about in Isaiah this morning is the pre-incarnate Christ. That's what Jesus in all His glory is like. He is ruling and reigning supreme. 
And isn't it overwhelming that we can be in His presence? I preached this recently at my church and, and someone asked. They did not like the message. And they said, why, why don't you, I mean, why would you say this? Why would you not preach about the love of God? And, and so I smiled. If I'd had a little laser pointer, I'd have done this. Maybe point, no, I, I wouldn't have. I just smiled and said, I think I did preach about the love of God as this almighty king who ruled and reigned became a lamb who was slain. And this is how God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the almighty king died for us and he rose from the dead victorious over the grave and sin give life to all who would come and say have mercy on me great king let's pray together as we bow I just ask you to consider what is it is there something on your heart and mind he would, he would say, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Maybe it's on post. Maybe it's in a local business. Maybe over where I live, it's Scott and White or McLean. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in a school. Here am I, send me. Are you ready to respond with here am I? Jesus, indeed, you're our great Lord and King. We confess that reality when we fail to embrace you as King with belief. Please help our unbelief. God, use us to impact this city, the counties around it, our state, and the world as we recognize you as our King and say, Here am I. Send me. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If the men will come forward at this time that are going to help us to pass out communion, we're going to share in communion together today, which is something that the church has been doing for 2,000 years, a, uh, a symbol that Christ gave us to remember that he is